We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. No Mike today. He's in transit to Toronto. And I want to start today's show a little bit differently. Question for you, Dee. I, I have not looked up the answers to this, so I'm going to participate with you on this little trivia question. But the Buss family, Dr. Buss, bought the Lakers in 1979, right before the 1979-80 season. In that time that the Buss family has owned the Lakers, name as many players as you can who have played for the Lakers who were the number one overall pick in their draft. Oh, who have played for the Lakers. Who, who played were the, for the Lakers in that time, who were the number one pick in their respective draft. All right, so we're let's let's jump around a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And so Kareem was on the team. Kareem? Mm-hmm. He, so he's one. Would have been the 71 yes. uh, number one pick, I think. Magic Johnson. Mm-hmm. 1979. James Worthy. 82. Michael Thompson. Yeah, 78. Something I like think. that. Something like right? that. 77. Um, Let's jump around a little bit more. Dwight Howard. Mm-hmm, 2004. LeBron James. 2003. Anthony Davis. 2012. Oh, man. So, see, so those were all the obvious ones. Mm-hmm. Shaq. Shaq. Oh, I said Shaq. Did no, I say Shaq, Shaq yet? yet? Nope. 92. Right. So Shaq. A lot of them. A lot of them, right? That's pretty, pretty remarkable. And that's, you know, Elgin Baylor was the number one pick, right? Even before the bus fed. So stars have been a big part of what the Lakers do, obviously, right? And the reason I bring that up, especially in context with last night's game, was I think Minnesota kind of represents this even internally within their team, that idea of underdog versus favorite. Um, And right now, this particular group of Laker players, we've got a couple of number one picks that we mentioned. We got three of them. And then a couple other top three, top four, top five guys in uh, Carmelo Anthony, Russell Westbrook. And players like that, especially over the last 25 years plus, but even throughout then, they grow up in the basketball world quite differently than anybody else does. And 
even I coached AAU ball as an assistant coach. I've got some wild stories. I'll wait for Mike. I think Mike would be upset if I don't tell uh, if he's not here for my AAU stories. But it's a dirty game, D. It is something that is like we had this kid that was like a three star borderline four star guy and the type of people he had around him like you know offering him a little bit of this and a little bit of that right in order to go and this was not a blue chip dude this was not a top five type of guy so this guy's not going to duke no absolutely not he ended up yeah he ended up on a mid-major like on the bench right so that guy is getting all the love that i saw i didn't get into those circles those you know this guy's a top 10 recruit nationally Anyhow, they grow up very much anointed. And Minnesota's a team where they got two guys that are on kind of different ends of this spectrum between Carl Anthony Towns and Patrick Beverly. Yeah. Both of whom were talking a ton of shit last night. Oh, man. Well, and, yes. So we'll get into this more. Please keep yes, going. Yes, yes. No, no, no. We'll definitely get into that. But that part, that's part of what I want to get into, right, is everyone's really – relishing the chance to get their pound of flesh from the Lakers that have had all these number one picks over the course of the year that have resulted in all of these titles. When the Lakers are down, everyone enjoys it. And we know that, right? But players that grow up like that are not used to having the chips down. They're not used to being underdogs. This is probably the first team in LeBron James's life where he can go out there every night and they get their ass kicked. Has LeBron ever been on a team? That if he's playing, gets their ass kicked on a regular basis. So I think it's an interesting topic to explore kind of the hunter being the hunted, the mindset that comes with being the favorite versus being the underdog. So let's just say the Lakers aren't being hunted right now. The Lakers are fishing a barrel right now. Yeah, yeah. And that's a different, that's a different thing, right? It's one thing to be prey. Right. Within within like if we're going to carry this analogy forward, some of these when you're that sort of player, the LeBron James, the the peak Dwight Howard, the Anthony Edwards, the Carl Anthony Towns. You have been the sort of king of the jungle sort of dude, right? You were the big cat. Right, you were and the all them AAU tournaments. That's, yes, your right? court was the one that everyone ended everyone, up. Right, wanted and to so, see. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to a high enough level, you've got a bunch of big cats that are all roaming the court together, and that's sort of the idea of. That's sort of what I love about like the Olympics, right? And how those Olympic teams sort of determine who is who is the best guy. Like, like we talk a lot about the redeem team, and I've told the story a bunch, but. There was when it was winning time in 2008 and the Lakers were really up or not the Lakers team USA was really up against it. Like Kobe closed the game. Yep. He was the closer. And he wasn't the guy for the entirety of the tournament up to. No, no, no. He Kobe was definitely a guy who put his stamp on games every once in a while. But he went in there with the idea, I'm going to play a role. I'm going to play defense. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But when it was time. In the most crucial moments, they cleared out for him, and he cooked, and he was the leader in the most crucial part of the most crucial game of the tournament. Four years later, I'll never forget, because I've said this a bunch of times, in London, Team USA, there was a possession where it was a crucial part of the game again, and Team USA had missed a shot, and Kobe had wrangled down an offensive rebound. 
And he kicked the ball out to reset the offense, and he kicked it out to LeBron James. And he said, you basically, he surrendered. That was the figurative passing of the torch to me, right? Like, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. You, you get us into whatever we're going to get into. You make the decision for this play. How this play unfolds, you're the one who's in charge. And so LeBron was just coming off of his first title when that happened. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there's a, there's, I'm always interested in how the dynamics play out when it's like all of these dudes who are top dogs, right? But over time, you age out of being that, right? And your game starts to be not as effective. And you are no longer, if, if we're using the pack analogy again, you no longer go out with the group that is hunting. You get fat and happy a little bit and you get you become to an advisor. Yes. You become an advisor to the group and a mentor to the group that goes out and hunts. Yeah, that's right. And if you were an asshole hunter and the Lakers definitely have one of those guys on their team right now a guy who has sort of maybe burned some bridges around the league or not been the most jovial of guys. When it's time to stick your neck on those dudes' throats or have some fun at those players' expense, Mm. people love that even more, right? And so people love to dethrone the king. People are going to enjoy, behind the scenes especially, I think, the fall of LeBron James to a certain extent. Like, oh, like, we're, oh, we're getting over on you? Mm-hmm. That's- Did you see that little exchange from Pat Bev? Like, Pat Bev's doing his thing, and he's flexing. He's like, yeah, yeah. And he's, but he's looking right at LeBron and walks over to him and kind of, like, gives, and he smiles. He kind of gets this glint in his eye. But it wasn't like a, it wasn't a threatening. It no, was no, a- no. LeBron and Pat Bev go way back. Right. There's a There's a clip. There's a clip, man. Like, of LeBron and Pat Bev before a game and they're talking and they've got LeBron's doing the shirt over the mouth thing. Oh like yeah. Now, I'm saying some shit, but I don't want people to exactly. read my lips. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're talking and then they're laughing and then LeBron gives them almost like a custom handshake. Right. And it's just, and daps them up big love before a game. You don't see LeBron do that with a lot of dudes around the league. So you know that him and Pat Bev are actually good. And they haven't played together unless I'm forgetting one of Pat Bev's stops. No, they have not. They have not. But there is bad blood between Pat Bev and Russell Westbrook. That that goes back generations in terms of them, right? From the time that Pat Bev kind of went into Russ's knee going for a loose ball. And it caused him, I think, to tear his meniscus and took him out of the playoffs. And so there's bad blood between those guys. Let's go to break here because I want to stay on this topic, though, for a little bit longer. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So the bad blood between Pat Bev and Russ, like I said, it goes back. And Pat Bev was on J.J. Reddick's pod recently, and he was talking. J.J. asked him about some sort of tweet that he had sent out that was basically not being kind to Russell Westbrook and sort of exalting in his struggles this season. And Pat Bev explained that you remember it was Russ who said, I was tricking people. Pat Bev tricked y'all. Right? That I wasn't actually good at defense. That I wasn't a good player at all, actually. And there was this, I, and he basically put forward this idea that I shouldn't be in the league at all. And he's like, man, that dude tried to affect my livelihood. He tried to take money out of my pocket. Now, look, we could. this is Pat Bev using his own perspective. We could debate how true this is or isn't. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to explain. Pat Bev carries this. He carries this with him. He's just like, after that moment, people looked at me different. And people started to be like, maybe he doesn't play, play defense. And he's like, man... Do you know how many times after that people were just testing me that they were going at me night after night after mm. night? They were going at me like I was a nobody, like I was nothing, like I hadn't earned any respect in this league. And he's like, this dude tried to make it so that people wouldn't respect me anymore. And he's like, the only thing I got in this league is that. Basically, Pat Bev, second round pick, he got basically his rights got sold basically to the Miami Heat, right? Like the Lakers drafted him for the Heat. And he then, shouldn't be in the league. He's a small guard that can't shoot and he shouldn't be in the league, much less as long as he has been. So it's a testament to him figuring it out. And and like the fact that he's here speaks volumes. Yes. And so we're spending a lot of time on this, but this idea of like Russell Westbrook is this sort of aging lion, right? And he was the guy who used to hunt and hunt and hunt and eat and eat and eat. And now, and he did it with a sneer on his face. He did it. He will get in your face and he will talk trash to you because the mm -hmm. same edge that Pat Bev carries, Russell Westbrook carries that same edge. People have to doubted an extent. him. To an, to extent. an extent. But people have doubted him Right now, he was a top recruit. He went to UCLA. He got drafted in the top five. No one's going to weep for his path to what he's become, 
right? But the edge that he's played with comes from somewhere, right? Sure. And Russ has had no problem sort of using that edge and, and getting in people's faces. And now that it's him who is struggling, people are happy to beat him and they're happy to do it publicly. So in the way that like people aren't going to dance on LeBron's grave because they'll still fear LeBron. Well, and there's a level of respect in like LeBron, LeBron will talk, talk his own. That's the thing too. I think that I would love for more trash talk to come back in the NBA. I think all this type of stuff is great for the NBA. What was the rivalry game? The Nets Sixers the other oh, day. Yes. Yeah. That shit's great, man. I, we, we need more of that. And so, especially with how much we've been on national TV and we got all these road games, there is, the combination of that and a Laker team that's increasingly checked out is like there are going to be a lot of opportunities for whatever scores need to be settled for it to be that. But ultimately with LeBron, there's still that fear. He's still a bad dude averaging 30 per game. But there's also, I think, a level of like you didn't you didn't go out of your way to rub it in my face. Yeah. So I'm not going to do the same. When you were on top. That's right. And I think that that's a different attitude that you're trying to convey with, with Russ, that there is a, but it also speaks to a degree of adaptability. Like LeBron has added to his game continually over the course of his career. And that's something that I think we'll get into when we talk, have a full pot about, about Russ, but a guy like, LeBron on that elite talent level of, of things, being able to go like, okay, now I'm going to become a better shooter. I'm going to become a, a better post player. I'm going to, as I age, accommodate all of the physical changes that come with getting older and not being able to run as fast or jump as high. And obviously he's still an elite athlete, but he's not the LeBron of five, 10 years ago. Of course he's not, right? And being able to adapt his game in ways where that doesn't take him from being a 27, seven and seven guy to usually what happens by this point is that guy is a 25 and five guy. And he's or even an 18, seven and seven guy. Yeah. Right. Or 18, five and five guy, which is sort of where Russ is this season. It, right? And that's, that's exactly it is that a guy like LeBron is able to maintain that level, but the way that he's getting to the, what, what he's averaging the 38 and whatever is different than the way that he used to. Whereas Russ has always had this mentality of like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do and you're going to have to stop me. And it's kind of reliant upon physical abilities that will decline. He's 33 years old and that have declined from, from his prime. And it's, there's an adaptability to LeBron on that high end talent level. And then a, a, an adaptability to a Pat Bev who does not have that high-end talent, but has figured out a way to still be a relevant player. Like like I said, he shouldn't be in the league in the first place. And I don't say that as an insult. I'd say that as a compliment, that he worked his ass off to get to this point. And he still plays every game as though it's the most important basketball game that he's ever played. And I know Pat Bev is rightfully a villain in Lakers circles. And I don't like him. And like when he, when he talks all this shit and flexes and all that, I'm like, all right. You know, like I'm yeah. rolling my eyes. I, I don't want to sound like an advocate for, for him, but I do think that there is a lesson in adaptability in that trio of players. And I'd even throw Carl uh, Anthony Towns into this mix as well as kind of the, I don't know, there's a certain degree of front runnerness that's like, I, I, I think I'd roll my eyes more at him than, than at Pat Bev yeah. on nights last, like last night. Well, yeah. Towns, look. I'd love for Towns to find a path where he's actually a winner. But he's not been a winner. 
and he has not impacted winning. I could see why Jimmy Butler with him and Wiggins and like, I could see how that went sideways. Yes. Now I will say this. Towns in the last 18 months has had life altering events happen to him. Yeah. And stuff like that changes your perspective. It just does. And so there's a certain amount of like old world towns that I sort of carry into this like current version of him where I'm skeptical. Like, and I am sort of just like this dude, this dude, he going to be like this. But there's a part of me that tries to give grace to everyone. Mm -hmm. Right. And that part of me is just like, well, let's look at it from this perspective now. And how much of that should influence the bigger picture that was built off of much more time, right? And, and so how much of that is rebalanced and refigured out is it's, it's, it's why your opinion of most people, not all people, most people should be something that has flexibility, that is malleable, right? Because you have to allow for changes in people to impact and affect change in how you view those same people. Yeah, because it's very easy to be stuck in the version of them five years ago. Because if you don't do that, you're like them. You're yeah. the thing you're accusing them of being. And this is just life lesson stuff. This isn't basketball and how I view a basketball player. This is just like evaluating the relationships in everyone's life and how you view people that should be open to interpretation and open to change over time. Because if it's not, you're doing yourself a disservice way more than you think that person is the bad person. Like you're failing yourself in, in those instances. But let's go to break here, Pete, because on the other side of this, I want to get more into this idea of like the front runner nature of like the NBA in general, because Wayne Ellington had some interesting quotes about this in postgame. The Lakers got thrashed. They came back. It was like a six point lead. My wife even said, like, I thought you guys were coming back. And I said, that was a fake comeback. Yeah, we've seen this enough times. Yeah, we know what this is. That that was fake. (laughs) Yes. Right. So. And afterwards, Wayne Ellington sort of spoke to this idea that that is sort of one of the underlying tones of of our discussion here, right? Which is, and I don't have the quote in front front of me, so I'm paraphrasing here, but like he's basically said that the NBA is sort of a front runner league, and when you're up and when you're winning, it's all good vibes, it's all love, everyone loves it, but when you're down. People love to kick you when you're down. And he's like, that's what I'm sort of, that's sort of where I'm at. And Ellington's seen a lot of losses in in his NBA life. And so it doesn't surprise me that he may have sort of a jaded view of the NBA. But I don't necessarily think that that's wrong. Right? And I think it's especially true when we talked about this the other day, man. People are loving kicking the Lakers' ass. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. They were supposed to be a championship contender. And now now we're advocating for Wenyon Gabriel to play big <laughs> minutes on on because this team. he's going to play hard no matter what. And in our text thread, we were lamenting about the possibility that Stanley Johnson had fallen out of the rotation. Sam Stanley Johnson. 
who was signed to a 10-day contract midseason. Right? And so the fall, and we this was a the theme of yesterday's pod, the fall of the Lakers has been rapid, right? You can find clips, man, from the offseason where NBA analysts, whether you respect them or not, were sort of just like, this team is going to have a chance to be one of the all-time great teams. They've got all this talent. They've got LeBron James. They've got Anthony Davis. They've got Russell Westbrook. They've got Carmelo Anthony. Regardless of the different stages of their careers that these that these guys are at, these dudes have pedigree. They have value. They've been good. Russell Westbrook was good last year. He has not been good this year, but he was good last year, right? And and so people are enjoying sticking it to this team. And no one cares about the injuries. No one cares about any of that stuff. What they see is they see a Lakers on the front. And they and and they're ready, and so talk to me some about this idea of the Lakers being down bad. How other teams are sort of rejoicing in taking advantage of that, and like, what does this look like now for a Lakers team that was not supposed to be in this position? Have players who have never really felt this before, especially in the leadership positions. And being so far from expectations that it's just like it might as well be a foreign country and they don't even have a passport. So the relishing in kicking the Lakers asses just comes with the stage of the Lakers, right? It's the biggest stage in basketball. And if you stink on the biggest stage, you're going to get booed and laughed at and like it. You can't fail quietly with the Lakers. It's just not possible, whether you're an individual player or whether you're the team as a whole. That said, there's been a lifetime of that. Now, in the 80s, it was the talk around the water cooler, right, in the break room. And in the in the 90s, it became the AOL chat rooms. I don't know if you were in those for Lakers and the NBA talk and all of that, man. Those were the, the, the good old days. And then the message boards of the 2000s and the social media of the last decade and whatnot. But it's always been the same thing. And so to me, after a certain point, it became background noise. Like people are going to talk their shit when the Lakers are bad and people are going to try to get you know the most clicks out of every bit of palace intrigue and all that. That comes with the territory and I, I only put a certain degree of seriousness to it. And what's always been interesting to me uh, is how do you recover from that? How do you build out of that? At this particular point of this season, if and, – and not just if, it's something that I – to see with my with my own eyes that there's a degree of checkout that is not salvageable after you cross a certain point. And I think that we've crossed that that Rubicon. Now, through the framework of the current NBA, we're still going to be in some version of the playoffs, most likely. And if you've got LeBron James and Anthony Davis and and yes, Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, those guys for a game, for a couple of games, can they put it together if they're healthy and all that? Sure. So I'm not saying that they that that can't happen. But there's been such a demonstrated checkout mentally that I'll believe it when I see it. And so with respect to this year's team, I don't think there is much that will be done. But what these periods throughout previous Lakers history have shown have have been, it shows who's the internally motivated people who are the internally motivated people. There's also always a degree of finger pointing that all of the different reports and I, I always, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but it's, 
it doesn't take too much thought to figure out whose camp or which side this particular report came from and whatnot. And so to what degree is their finger pointing versus accountability, a, a certain mentality of like, I messed up. I need to do better. What can I do differently? And that's ultimately what it always lands on for me in that idea of chop wood, carry water is so romantic during good times. And we're going to do the little things and the hard work that wins us a championship. And we talked about that idea during the championship season, but it's also what can pull you out of the most difficult times. No, that's an all the time mentality. It's an all the time thing is the the full quote is it were, and I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing, but it's uh, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. And after enlightenment, chop wood, carry water, right? Because it's the work that you put in on the small details, the banal, simple things in life that accumulate to something bigger and better. And I look at the Lakers versus the Clippers, Pat Bev's former team, and just like the the culture of that. They had – like the Clippers aren't going to win the title this year either unless both Paul George and Kawhi come back and they're in great shape, right? And so they had every reason for this to be like, ah, we'll get them next year type of year. But I feel like they've built something really sturdy to build off of for next year. And so we always look at seasons as these like individual – things, but it's all part of a bigger story over the multitude of seasons. And when you're really down badly, I think the place to turn is to turn inward yeah. and to look at what can I do differently. And and I think that the people who do that will emerge as the people who are mentally checked out fade away. Yeah. The the interesting thing is, and this is a side side note here, is this is where I think the the severe nature of the roster turnover that the Lakers have had during the LeBron James era has come back to bite them mm-hmm. some, right? Um, I can't remember the number, but it was an obscene number of teammates that LeBron James has had while he's been with with the Lakers. Um, I had mentioned this last pod, but the only people who were on the title, who were on the current team, who were on the title team two, two seasons ago um, – are so Dwight is there, AD is there, and THT is there. Dwight's back, but he was not on the team last season. Right? Same so, with Avery Bradley, yeah. And same with Avery Bradley. So I almost don't count them. Yes. And so, like every season, turning over the roster the way that the Lakers have, it makes it difficult to have that togetherness that is going to get you to the point that the Clippers are at sort of right now, right? Where it's just like, okay, well. Terrence Mann looks over and he's just like, oh, well, look, there's Marcus Morris. I've played with him for two and a half years now. Right? Yeah. My whole time here, there's Evita Zubats. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, look, even a guy like, um, his name just jumped out of my head, the kid from Duke who everyone hates. Kennard? Yes. <laughs> Luke Kennard. Well, everyone hates Kennard. He's I, just got one of those faces. He's he's that he's the the white shooter from Duke. That well, is he's like, just got one of those faces. Man. Yeah, right. Yeah, he does. Like he looks like he could have been one of the dudes from Wolf of Wall Street who was like <laughs> selling penny stocks to someone to making them go broke. Right? Like he, right. he like he just got one of those faces. Oh, like Luke Kennard catching strays for no reason. Hey, All right, look, hey man, look. <laughs> He continues to bomb threes against the Lakers and, and hit like man. 80% of them. So, you know, <sighs> he's shooting straight. So if he catches a stray for me, sorry, buddy. Like, yeah. you've done your damage. We've caught enough of them yes. from him. Goddamn. But there is that sort of collective energy 
that those people that a lot of those guys have from togetherness. And that's the one thing that I feel like this Lakers team doesn't have is LeBron James right now. He's looking like the Will Smith meme at the end of the Fresh Prince, right? Like he's looking around the room and the room might as well be empty. Because he doesn't see any of the familiar faces. And even the familiar faces, their games don't recognize or those games do not look familiar to what they were just two years ago. And so they might as well be a totally different player. Dwight Howard's not the same dude. He may have the same face, but he's not the same dude. Avery Bradley may have the same face, but he's not the same dude. Right? And so, and then Anthony Davis is in a walking boot, or at least he was until a week ago. And and so... It's hard to sort of build that like, hey, we're in this together when you're new and you're on a one year contract and will you be here next year? Right. Like we're in this together for the next 13 games. Yeah. You might have a month left in your Lakers career. In fact, I would venture guess that at least half the roster like we're going to have that lack of continuity again. Again. This time is the the most justified time because we were not good at all. Yes. But. But that is, a, you know, it'll be the fifth year of LeBron's tenure. Five with years. The Lakers. Isn't that crazy? I know. Next year's going to be five years of LeBron. And he will have never had really the same roster from one year to the other. The closest thing was from the title season to the, the following season. And even then you had you had Dennis Schroeder and Trez and uh, Marcus Gasol. Yeah. Marcus Saul, there was quite a bit of turnover even in that. So it speaks to your point. And in that fifth year, I would venture a guess that we're not going to have that again. Yeah. And, and, and so, look, this has been a windy road of a podcast and and we've covered a lot of topics here. I would bring it back, though, to the beginning point, which is this idea of this isn't familiar territory for these Lakers. It's specifically mm-hmm. not familiar territory to LeBron James. And like – Digging yourself out of a hole, right, is difficult when you've never been in a hole before ever. Yep. Right? And and that's sort of the feeling. The last time the Lakers were in this situation and LeBron James was on the team, he was wearing street clothes. And he was watching Alex Caruso dunk a bunch of times. That feels like a generation ago, honestly. And the idea that this team, this team knows what to do in these circumstances, that's just false. It's patently false. They don't know what what to do. And you see it in terms of their level of organization. You see it in terms of what they're doing from a schematic standpoint, from play to play, offensively especially, but defensively too. And that's a whole nother pod, right? But the the de-evolution of what this team has become schematically over the last month and a half, there's an entire story to be written on that, mm-hmm. right? The team trying to find success in simplicity and not even being able to do the simple things well. And so they fail even harder. Yeah. And that's sort of the undertone of what this season has become. But guess what, man? No one feels pity for them. No one feels pity for the Los Angeles Lakers. And and to a certain extent, not even us as fans. Like, we wish better for them, but the people who get your pity are the people who have earned that feeling, right? And this group collectively has not. And so as they go to Toronto 
in this next game. And they faced the same team that had them down by a billion in the first quarter. We're going to see who has that internal motivation. We're going to see who has that will to fight. But that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to see good basketball being played. And that's what this team has to try to bridge now is how can they translate effort into good basketball. And that's a mighty big bridge that they're trying to build there. Especially when you're not used to building it, right? I I liked your your point about it's hard to know how to climb out of a hole when you've never really been down in one. And so I think that's what we'll talk about tomorrow. I think that the, the idea of how you climb out when you're down bad, maybe we could talk about some things in our lives, right? That have sure. where we've had to kind of fight our, our way through, because I think that there are a lot of lessons really just that can be applied to the Lakers, but really to, to everyone um, on how do you get yourself out of dire circumstances. We'll be back to talk about that tomorrow, but until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Miss it. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.